Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. I think being authentic, you know, that is just fundamentally, you know, the key ingredient to being a leader of any kind. You know, people don't want phonies mm-hmm. and they shouldn't accept phonies. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Jeffrey Kaufman. Jeff's the founder and CEO of Trint, a speech-to-text platform that makes audio and video searchable, editable, and shareable. In his 30 years as a broadcaster, Jeff reported from more than 40 countries, covering many of the biggest stories of a generation. He's won two Emmys, a DuPont Award, and an Edward R. Murrow Award. And Jeff's since teamed up with a team of developers to create a tool that does the heavy lifting of transcription using the increasingly accurate output of AI. Jeff joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Jeff. It's great to have you with us. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's good to talk to you. I'm looking forward to talking to you as well, learning a bit about your your fabulous career and obviously the organisation that you founded just over eight years ago. So first of all, first question, can you tell us a little bit about Trent and what it stands for and what problems you solve, please? I think sort of the backstory is if you had told me a decade ago that I would be the CEO and founder of a tech company with 100 employees, I would have said, you know, what drugs do you want? There there just was no way this was going to happen. I was a a network correspondent for ABC News, a London correspondent after 30 years of really challenging, exciting, uh, hard, Mm -hmm. uh, thrilling, uh, life-consuming work as, as a reporter, foreign correspondent, war correspondent. And I had no plans to run a business, build a business, be a tech guy. So, so all of this kind of happened um, just uh, organically by circumstance, by opportunity. Um, I think maybe if I'd known how hard it was, <laughs> I might have thought longer before plunging in the deep end, but uh, welcome to life. Mm-hmm. Um, Trent is uh, really born out of that career as a journalist. Um, I was, uh, I, I'm a university lecturer, professor uh, on the side and in building a, a global journalism program here in London. Uh, I uh, was, a friend said, you know, if you're looking at 21st century media, why don't you come to this conference with me about sort of innovation in journalism and tech? And I met some developers who'd done some audio text alignment work. Uh, and I said, gosh, you know, I wish I could put uh, automated transcription, uh, automated uh, speech to text in there and it would, could transcribe for me because I hate that part of my job. And I remember one of the developers saying, well, why, what do you mean? He didn't really understand the workflow that I, I lived, mm-hmm. which was taking conversations like this, having to type them out so that I mm-hmm. could write my reports and documentaries. And uh, anyway, it led to some experiments that were so successful. And I just realized we, I was looking at the future and if we didn't do it, someone else would. And so I, I left ABC News to build Trent. And Trent, uh, what does it stand for? It's what's called a portmanteau. It's it's uh, two words mushed together, transcription and interview, Trint. Um, and uh, that's a very common way to build a brand these days. I don't know whether you know that the word Viagra is built that way. It's Vitality and Niagara. Go figure. I did, I did not know that. <laughs> there you go. And you didn't even ask. So that's Trint. The company's 100 employees, uh, about 85 here in London and uh, 15 or so in Toronto, mm-hmm. my hometown, which is our North American sales office. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. And so as a leader of that kind of organisation at that stage of its life cycle, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? Um, uh, listen, it's really hard. I'm a reporter by training. I never managed people. I never looked at a spreadsheet. Uh, I had never touched Excel. Um, I've never done, I'd never done a, a 360 review. Uh, you know, I, I worked in this incredibly hard, high pressure environment with teams, but, you know, they were colleagues and, you know, I wasn't their boss. I mean, I could say, hey, I don't think this person is is the right person, but it wasn't my uh, call to say this person shouldn't work for ABC News or CBS News or before that, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where I started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a, a, just so many things I didn't know. What I did know was what the product could look like and the opportunity, the problem that our tech would solve, which was Mm -hmm. taking the spoken word and making it searchable and shareable and and discoverable in ways that it wasn't. Kind of kind of think of a Google Google Docs for the spoken word for audio and video. But you know, building a company around that, I mean, you know, I think every founder, every leader makes tons of mistakes. I, I I recognize that. I think I've made more than more than my share. Um, and I only half joke that it's amazing I haven't killed it because I don't have any business training. My degree in university was in political science. Mm-hmm. My 30 years in journalism took me around the world. Uh, I think I reported from more than 40 countries. Uh, and I guess it made me kind of brave and not afraid of taking risks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, having been a war correspondent, I think it gives you perspective on what real risk is. And, you know, let's face it, um, building a tech company, I feel a huge responsibility to the employees, mm-hmm. uh, the shareholders, and the customers. But let, let's be honest, it's not a life or death thing like my friends who are reporting in Ukraine right now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which is the kind of stuff I used to do. Uh, but which doesn't mean I'm cavalier about it in any way, but it does give you perspective and a bit of humility about you know what 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 real risk is. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that I take the view that, uh, you know, I, I I think life is a series of, of challenges, adventures, opportunities to learn and grow and to contribute back to society. And um, I think my definition of failure is is maybe not everyone's, but my definition of failure is not trying. You know, yes. I, I recognize that outcomes are never guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if you don't take some risks and believe in what you're doing, you're not going to have a very exciting or interesting life. I, I concur. I concur. And I, I guess the other thing about your extensive travel and the situations that you must have found yourself in, from a leadership perspective, I would imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that that teaches you masses about people and how to yeah, communicate with people. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I actually give a, I, I have a, a talk that I, I give on the lecture circuit around this about, uh, called from, from the front lines of Libya to the trenches of tech, how being a war correspondent unwittingly trained me to be a CEO. Um, uh, and you're right. Um, you know, I think there are all sorts of things that you learn under that kind of uh, pressure. Uh, you know, for example, you know, one of the things, one, one of the, the cardinal rules any successful journalist has to understand uh, and accept very early in, in her, his career is admit what you don't know. Because uh, if you bluff and you're a broadcast journalist like me or you're a print journalist and you put you, you, you put something out there that you're actually not sure about and it's wrong, you're mm-hmm. toast. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it just goes without saying, no one's going to trust you ever again. 
And so I think I'm very, very comfortable saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. I need to talk to people. I need to do some research. I need some advice. Um, I don't bluff. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't pretend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that kind of reassured, reassured people when I was beginning, because I, I, I honestly used to say to early investors, listen, I, I'm the most unqualified person in this room to be building a startup. I just happen to have a, a really good idea and I know there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I will, I, I know, I promise you, I will hire people who can do the things that I don't know how to do. And I think people like that. I don't think that's a very common speech from someone raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that helped me unlock that first round, which is always the hardest mm-hmm. uh, of, of investment. Uh, but you're right. You know, as, as a war correspondent, you have to make tough decisions quickly and you have to make imperfect decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, 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 as I say, you, you reach out for help. Um, you also have to, you know, I, I tell the story in Haiti in 2004, I covered a very violent revolution. Uh, and at one point, uh, I'd interviewed, uh, the then president of Haiti, uh, a very broken country in the Caribbean, one of one of only a handful of truly failed states on earth and and of all the countries i've been to probably the saddest place i've ever been um uh poverty and uh dysfunction on a level that that is really difficult to comprehend if you don't see it up up close uh just despairing and there was a revolution against jean bertrand aristide the priest turned politician who had meant was meant to be the savior of the country and like all the other leaders um just soured and uh he seemed to be more interested in himself than than in, in the the starving people of his country and there was a revolution to overthrow him we had an interview with him at the spectacularly beautiful french colonial uh, presidential palace at the time uh this is uh 2004 and uh, i had already interviewed him once we went back uh on a sunday morning for an appointment and things were kind of odd the streets of haiti or port-au-prince the capital are always roiling with people and even through the night and they were deserted and i remember as we went down from petchenville the the the, the uh, neighborhood we were staying in uh down to the down down the hill uh i remember saying to my my uh, team this is odd where are all the people the presidential palace gates were chained with a big padlock and i speak french and i said you know we have a, a, a Réunion, I'm meeting with the president. I said, go away, go away. And went around the back and they put guns in our faces and said, get out of here. The problem was the palace was surrounded by cement barricades uh, to stop people from from ramming the the, the elaborate wrought iron fences and, and attacking the president. And the only way out was what's called a chicane, a kind of loop back and forth. And as we were leaving, there was gunfire and it was not my finest moment. Um, mm-hmm. I panicked. I got frightened. You know, I admit it. And uh, we travel with private security. And I remember uh, he turned. He was sitting next to the driver, and the producer and I, probably the cameraman, uh, were in the back uh, of this SUV. And he said, "Shut the f up! You're not helping." And I realized then that I could never do that again. I was in a very senior position of responsibility. And there are two things you have to learn about a crisis, uh, whether it's a technical crisis or a 
real crisis like that where your 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 life is um, in question. And one is that the worse things get, the more the calmer you need need to be so you can act rationally. Mm-hmm. And the second is when you're in a position of leadership and you're in a crisis, people look to you for cues. And if they see you panic, mm-hmm. understandably, they don't have much confidence in you. And if they see you stay calm, they believe in your rational decision-making. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, I remember very early on when Trent launched, we we got overwhelmed and the entire system crashed and we got inundated with you know, anxious and angry emails. And I remember that that lesson stuck with me, and I just stayed calm. And I got the developers on the uh, on the phone, and and I said, you know, okay, let's just walk through what our steps are. Let's get a slide up on the website saying, hey, we're having some problems. Back with you as soon as we can. Thanks for your patience. Mm-hmm. Clear communication. Rule number one. Number two. Do we know what's gone wrong? Number three. Do we have the capacity to fix it? What resources do we need? And how long will it take? Mm-hmm. And and that's and that got us through. And you know, it was a fairly angst-inducing crisis for that for a young company. Mm-hmm. But by staying rational, uh, it allowed us to focus on solving the problem. And you know, I think that those lessons that I learned as a war correspondent really do stick with me. That being said. I never learned how to read a balance sheet as a war correspondent, and that's still hard. I mean, obviously, I can read the num- the basic numbers. Mm-hmm. I can't create one. I I remember very early on in the journey, uh, someone said, oh, well, can you show me your KPIs? I honestly didn't know what KPIs were. I had to turn my, my laptop away. Having said, I don't bluff. I didn't bluff. I just Googled KPI and I said, oh yeah, well, well, I can, can give me a couple of weeks. And I had no idea. I called up a friend who was a CFO and I said, what do I do here? I have no idea what she, what she wants. Yeah. And he came over and he sort of built a very basic model with me and he left me and I was sitting at my kitchen table and I thought, well, what if we change this? And all I could get on Excel, if you've ever played on Excel, was hashtag, hashtag, hashtag when you put in the wrong formulas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all I could do was hit undo and try to do it again and Google, how do I fix this? And oh my God, I remember thinking, I am so not cut out to do this. Yeah, but sometimes the fun's in the figuring it out in those early days. There's so much for you to figure out because you can't yeah. do everything. You can't be the no. master of everything. And. And so in terms of your journey into leadership, it makes sense. My next question is normally tell us about your journey into leadership, but that kind of, I guess, happened by default because you got this great idea for Trent, and therefore you're the CEO and the leader of that business. But what I also wanted to understand was, are there any sort of leadership bloopers, we'll call them? Oh, tons. Are you kidding? I mean, (laughs) how much, you know, we need a few hours or a few days. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, I think, listen, for me, one of the... One of the th- the things that that I didn't really understand was was this balance of, uh, and I think this is a, this is a, a theme of our age. This balance of independence and empowerment and accountability, and how do you how do you empower your direct reports, your team, uh, and, and hold them accountable without micromanaging them? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be micromanaged, but at the same time, you know, one of the phrases that just drives me crazy is Jeff, I've got it which means butt out boss. And it's like, no, that's not actually an acceptable response. It's 
I've got it and here's what I'm doing and here's how I'm going to tell you how it's progressing. That's the full sentence. And I, I didn't understand how to do that. And I, I, when the company was only maybe eight or 10 people, I noticed that I was pissing off some of my, 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 my team, not intentionally. I just didn't quite understand how to empower without stepping on toes. And, you know, and then if I pulled back too much, I saw things go in directions that I didn't think were, were wise. Mm-hmm. So I, at that point, we were in a, an incubator called Idea London uh, near Finsbury Square uh, in central London. And I remember the uh, uh, University College London, UCL, was one of the sponsors. And I remember they said to me, do you need, you know, how can we support you? And I said, you know, I think I need a kind of business leadership course because I don't really know what I'm doing here. And I'm making mistakes without meaning to. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not helping me or the team. So I took this three-day program uh, that they put me in. And the guy who taught it was just brilliant. And it was all these exercises and every moment related to what I was struggling to do. And what it did, you know, leadership is a is a is a a very, very studied social science. And there are theories and behaviors and practices and vocabularies around these kind of behaviors. And I had never studied them because I'm a reporter. And mm-hmm. even in just three days, he gave me a vocabulary to understand what behaviors uh, can can elicit uh, what responses, uh, specific responses, and and why, and and you know how to model behaviors, how to, how to how to hold people accountable, how to have those kind of conversations. I mean, clearly, three days is not a complete program, but but at least gave me you know a fundamental, you know, a, a basic vocabulary. And I remember, you know, a couple of weeks later, uh, one of my employees uh, said to me, "What what 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 are you on? Because you've changed, and like you're you're." doing this better. And I said, well, that program gave me some, a way to think about how to, how to interact with people. And it really helped me. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, it, it, and, and actually the guy who teaches that program is still my, my leadership coach, interestingly enough, um, I, sort of six, probably six years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that really had a profound impact on, on how I, acted as a leader. I, I will say this, though, when you're building a, a company from the ground up, the company changes each year. When you go from six to 10, it's different. When you go from 10 to 20, it's quite different. And there's a point around 30 or 40 where it's no longer just a sweet little family that goes out for a beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it becomes a hierarchy and and you've got to create levels and that's probably actually even in the teens, you've got to do that. But but at 30 or 40, not everybody knows everybody. You know, mm-hmm. when you're 15, everybody knows everybody's name. When you're 30 or 40, they don't. And and then when you hit 60 and 80, it, you know, it becomes an, an organization. And when you hit 100, you really need very clear processes and structures. And so, you know, one of the things that I've had to learn as a CEO is... is uh, uh, you have to reinvent yourself and you have to reinvent your role. You know, that hands-on style as you hire people who are very competent around you, you pull back and you've got to empower them, support them, communicate with them, move blockers, discuss objectives. And there's a lot of trust that goes into that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think one, candidly, amongst you asked about, I, I don't know if it's a blooper, but, you know, listen, everybody, hiring is a hard. It's all about team. Mm-hmm. It's all about hiring well. It's all about hiring 
really strong leaders. And uh, I've made some mistakes. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, bet on the wrong horse, I suppose you could say. Um, and, and, and some of that's on, you know, well, it's definitely on me. I just didn't know. I didn't know how to look for good. And I didn't, you know, and, and I think particularly in some areas uh, like marketing, where people are good at selling themselves, sometimes okay. what they're selling isn't what you need. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's been a really, really tough lesson, you know, because when you hire a good person, perhaps, but in the wrong role, um, she or he, you know, you spend three months, he- you know, hearing them set things up, three months watching them get things going. And then, you know, after month six, you start to go, well, where are the results? Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a minute, I'm not seeing any results. And actually, I'm seeing a team that's kind of disenfranchised and disillusioned and sometimes just plain old pissed off. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe we made a wrong hire. And then you have to move to, you know, figure out what to do. And and, and these kind of things uh, really, really hurt the company. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, and, and that's absolutely happened. But I'd be shocked to know of any leader who hasn't had that problem at times. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think I'm smarter about it. But, you know, I, I'm also more circumspect. You know, I, I, I look at, new hires with uh, enthusiasm and excitement, but I'm also slightly more cautious to say, yeah, we've got it until I see the results. Because yeah. I think I want people to, to succeed. I think that I'm guilty of believing in people and, and wanting to believe in people and seeing the best in people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's at times bitten me, to be honest. You know, I think uh, being, uh, being, I've learned to be a bit more cautious, maybe a bit more skeptical, not cynical, I don't like cynicism, mm. but it's cautious and caution and skepticism and uh, and evidence. Uh, I think are what you have to use to to judge. Uh, you know, we should all be judged on or held accountable to. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And in terms of that approach to leadership, that that thought process, it sounds as though a lot of that is born of experience. But was there is is there a leader that you particularly worked with closely or um, maybe a piece of advice that you've been given previously that's helped shape that leadership style or is it a very organic process for you? You know, I worked in network news in the Mm -hmm. US, which is kind of Hollywood with a hand mic. It's vicious. It's nasty. I mean, I, I, as individuals, I had some bosses who were, you know, probably good people, but they weren't nice to work for generally. They were they were usually, it was, you know, it's a high pressure environment. The deadline is five hours from now, four mm-hmm. hours from now, an hour from now. And you have, you know, high paid correspondents fighting for airtime. You know, oxygen is airtime. Mm-hmm. And it is a very aggressive cutthroat environment. I did it for, I was on air for 33 years. So I know about it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, and you know, more than half of that was, was, I started in Canadian TV, but more than half of that was in the U.S. And, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I began, I said, again, with the best of intentions, my, my aspiration is to be the boss I wish I had, but never had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think I was naive. I, I think that, I think I now, I don't think you have to be as harsh and plain old nasty as some of the bosses I had were, but I recognize that, you know, you sure can't worry about being liked all the time. Because that's a that's a recipe for disaster. If you try to please your team by being nice all the time, it 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 
really limits your ability to make tough decisions that people may not want you to make, uh, or they may not think are in their interest or the company's interest, but you have to make. And, and I think, uh, I think, uh, the education of me as a CEO, it's been, it's, it's a journey of learning. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I have to say, you know, you know, I, I'm, you know, a, a late stage entrepreneur. I think those of us who are first time founders with no business experience, whatever age, I would be very cautious, um, about investing my money in first time founders like me, because I think the number of mistakes you make, it's just, you better have a damn good idea, which I did have. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, which, which is probably the thing that saved us. But uh, uh, the reality is that if I were to do it again, I would do it much better. I don't think I would want to do it again, because I think one of the things you don't realize when you start build a startup is that if you actually succeed, you're not going to exit in two years. I mean, those kind of stories are so rare. They're one in a billion. They really are. You know, they're the ones that get the front page of the, you know, the newspaper that, you know, and, and you know, they, they just, that is such a rare event. The reality is you should assume it's a 10 year journey. Mm-hmm. 10 years of your life are committed to this idea. You better love the idea mm-hmm. and you better really want to see it through because you're going to have a lot of people tell you no. You're going to trip and fall time after time. Mm-hmm. You better be resilient. You better have thick skin and you better, you know, I, I think that the ingredient as a leader you need to build a startup is what I call humble overconfidence, which is an oxymoron, of course, but it's intentional Uh because you need, you need the overconfidence to pick yourself up when you make mistakes and things go bad. Mm -hmm. And you need the humility to acknowledge your, your own shortcomings, weaknesses, failings, areas where you need support. And I think if you don't have the two, you don't deserve to lead, uh, you know, because you need both. You can't, you know, being overconfident is great, but if it doesn't come with some humility, you're 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 like Adam Neumann, the the founder of WeWork, who is just I've never met the man, but I've listened to the podcasts, I've watched the TV series, I've read about him. You know, let's face it, if if he is the way he's portrayed, he's just a big jerk, and I don't want to be that. That's for sure. So you know, I think a little humility on his part might have made him a little less than a billionaire, but you know, so I don't know. So I'm probably not the person to listen to because he's rich and we're not. Uh, He's super rich, uh, but uh, you know, I I think that those kind of lessons, uh, uh, I, that's not a typical story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he 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 oversold his company. He got away with it, and um, he's worth what a billion dollars or something like that. Go figure. Um, and and so of the characters, I mean, you must have met some amazing leaders over the, the course of your your career, maybe some not so amazing leaders, but is there anyone that sort of stands out, past or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire in terms of their leadership approach? So, you know, I read Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson. It's a big, mm-hmm. thick book, and I highly recommend it. If you haven't read it, it is absolutely a page turner. Um, and Steve Jobs is not a role model for any of us. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, was a uh, arrogant, uh, mean, sometimes cruel guy uh, who uh, didn't care about the human collateral damage of his uh, mercurial personality. But it's fascinating. I mean, let's face it. He built one of the most enduring companies and product lines of modern times. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he just did. He was a genius. There's no question. 
And when you read about him, he's a really interesting study because I don't think that mere mortals like me and you could get away with what he did. And I'm not sure that he could get away in 2022 with what he did in 1982. I think that's the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of of barking and and snapping at people that he did, you know, I, I guess if you know if you look at Elon Musk, he's he's a he does a, he does quite a lot of that. He's 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 unapologetic for his toughness and his rudeness. Uh, but you know, I I think if you're not Musk, if you're not Jobs, uh, you you need to find a way to achieve excellence and results that empowers people. And I think that, uh, so, so you asked me who the role models are. Steve Jobs isn't my role model, but he's, he, 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 he provokes me because I think, wow, that is not any way for a decent person to behave, but Mm -hmm. who are we, you know, (laughs) you you look at what he, what the impact he had on the world. And you think that it's just, it's to me, Steve Jobs is, is fascinating. And, and, and there's a lot to learn about this. His single-mindedness about his vision, I think, is at times inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think it's a typical behavior that you can emulate in the same, which you've got to bring people along. You can't just tell them. You can't mm-hmm. just bark at them and say, just do this. But, you know, when, when you look at the Apple stores, the floors, the windows, I know he's been gone now quite a long time. They mm-hmm. still carry his fingerprint. I mean, he, they mocked those up in some warehouse and somewhere in Silicon Valley and they played with materials and they looked at light. All of that design endures long after. And, you know, he didn't do it on his own. He worked with brilliant designers, but there was a lot of Steve Jobs in that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think sticking to your vision is really important uh, and understanding it. You've got to bring people along, though. You can't force them. They'll, they'll leave. They'll quit. Mm-hmm. You know, and particularly in today's employment market, you know, um, you've got to remember that you know anyone who's really good at her or his job is has has got options. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly if they're in software or product, uh, 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 those two disciplines are just, you know, it's a seller's market and it remains so. Yeah, absolutely. It's an in- interesting point you make about the whether or not the leaders that maybe people admire from the past, whether or not that would wash today maybe whether or not that style would get the same results that it did previously yeah i mean i think elon musk is is of that you know he he's of that uh uh profile of of a rough hard uh you know a damn the torpedoes kind of guy i i don't think he's the same as steve jobs and certainly not the same as, same as bill gates but uh, so i think that sometimes you can get away with it i mean let's face it tesla is you know an not quite equal to Apple, but but pretty pretty game changing for for mm-hmm. the world, uh, mm-hmm. in that it's pushed you know the electric car way forward uh, in in terms of its its production, uh, its adoption, and it's forced the the legacy companies to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, I, but I again, I think that these outliers shouldn't be the people we we we, we use as our role models. I think that they're interesting to talk about. And I think their learnings from them, their single-mindedness is at times inspiring. Uh, but I, I don't think that those behaviors are, are the ones that will get the best out of people when you're building a company. Yeah, yeah. I think you almost have to be the filter. You have to take a little bit from everybody and put it all into your own your own. Story. Yeah, you have to be yourself. I mean, the advantage of not being a 24-year-old founder is that I'm, I'm 
pretty comfortable in my own skin. I think I'm yeah. very comfortable and I, I, you know, I don't have a problem uh, admitting you know, who I am and who I'm not. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel the need to fake it in any way. I, you know, yeah. I, I have a, you know, I'm very proud of the work I've done. And, you know, I think, you know, people, people get dazzled by the Emmys I've won and the, the Murrow Awards and, uh, you know, those, the DuPont Awards, you know, those kind of things do give you a certain credibility that you've done something that, you know, with some, some degree of confidence. And, and so I don't really feel the need to, to um, overcompensate for the things I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, and I think that that helps, you know, I think being authentic, you know, that is just fundamentally, uh, you know, the key ingredient to being a, a leader of any kind, you know, people don't want phonies mm-hmm. and they shouldn't Absolutely. accept phonies. Absolutely. So you, you go back to the transparency that you were talking about, there's real integrity in being able to say, look, I haven't got the answer to that, but we'll figure it out or we'll, you know, we'll go away and we'll fix that. And that there's real integrity in that authenticity and transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you, you know, I think being a, those of us who found companies bring our, our passion, our vision, our drive. Any founder is going to have strengths and weaknesses. We all, you know, it, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, some people will have great business skills, but not great communication skills. I think fundamentally, if you can't tell the story of your, your product, of your vision, you're, it's, that's a bigger problem than not being able to do a spreadsheet. Yes. You know, I think fundamentally, if you're a leader, you've got to have a place that people want to be able to articulate a vision that people want, want to follow. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's, I think, from based on why people join the company, that's a, a big part of it. Um, uh, but, you know, I think then you got to fill in those big, huge gaps that, you know, make the Grand Canyon look small um, mm-hmm. and figure it out. <laughs> And were that would that it were so simple, but it's not. But you know, listen, I I don't. It's it's really, I, I like I I I I love the team. I like the, I I really enjoy the people I work with, um, and I learn from them. And you know, I we work hard, but you know, hopefully we can you know we can laugh too and and uh, feel proud of the, of you know, our accomplishments and own our mistakes. Uh, and feel safe owning our mistakes. You know, I think mm-hmm. that whole safety issue is 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 very real. Um, you know, and we need to model that behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's you know nobody's more surprised than me, and I'm very proud of the fact that I I had this really interesting and uh, you know successful career as a broadcast journalist, as a, you know doing incredibly challenging work in the most difficult places on earth. And then I just pivoted to building a company, and I went really. I don't know how I did this, but it just kind of happened. I literally left ABC News on a Friday night and started building Trent on a Monday morning. <laughs> and here so, we are, eight years. Yeah, later. and here we are, you know, almost eight years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> the things that I have learned. Um, and and you know, I, I I would also say that one of the things I've learned is that uh, switching careers building on the skills you have uh but switching careers is actually really really uh uh revitalizing and nourishing because no matter what you're doing there's a point at which there's a certain routine and familiarity that that mm-hmm. maybe takes some of the edge and excitement off it and certainly some of the challenge and i think um it depends how you want to live your life i mean some people are fine with that some people get their challenge and their their excitement out of other 
other places in life, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a theme park or a, you know, uh, some adventures. Um, but I, I guess I like challenges in all aspects of my life because you know, I just, I do, I'm just back from cycling through Eastern Europe. Um, wow. um, so, you know, I, 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 I think life's interesting when you, when you take on real challenge and, uh, it was so rewarding. I cycled down the Danube and oh, in Romania and yeah, it was fabulous. Uh, and it was hard and it was miserable when it rained. We had some cold, wet rain, but you know, I, I'm from Canada and I, I grew up doing wilderness canoe trips in, uh, Northern Ontario mm-hmm. and I still do them, um, you know, uh, many, many decades later. And so I'm kind of used to being miserably uncomfortable and, uh, when you're canoeing in the Canadian wilderness and you're soaking wet, you've got to mm-hmm. find a place to camp and put out the tarp and get a fire going. And that takes a lot, a lot of work. And you're going, oh God, what, what were we thinking about, you know, doing this? At least when cycling, we knew we, we didn't camp. We were staying in hotels. I was with a, one of my cycling mates and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I, we got, my, my feet got totally drenched. It was cold. But I knew the moment we got to the hotel uh, and I had a hot shower, I'd be fine. And I was. So, you know, it was, you just kind of keep going. And yeah. and I think that kind of resilience is is a fairly helpful characteristic to have in, in life and certainly in building a company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look back at those experiences and somebody will maybe say to you, how was it? And you're not going to say, my feet were freezing. You're going to remember the scenery as you were cycling down the side of the Danube. Oh my God, absolutely. And the, and yeah. the towns that we went to in, you know, in, in, uh, in Slovakia and in Hungary and Romania, I mean, it was places you've never heard of and that nobody ever says, oh, you should go to Zeged in Hungary. I'd never heard of Zeged. Most people couldn't couldn't spell it. It's S-Z, by the way. Uh, uh, it's the third largest city in Hungary and I've never heard of it. And it is spectacular. And you, kind of, you go, wow. I mean, if I hadn't been cycling and, you know, we'd sort of hit the 120, 130K mark, uh, which is a fairly full day of cycling, if you want to do a bit of sightseeing too, mm-hmm. uh, I, we would never have stopped in Zeged. And and it, it is really one of the most stunning cities I've seen in Europe. And, and you know, how rewarding is that to just stumble on a place that nobody's ever told you to go to? And you think, yeah. what a thrill. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that being open to adventures uh, in life leads to all these great surprises. And listen, not every moment, you, you've got to accept that not every moment of every journey is going to be thrilling. It's, some of it's going to be miserable. Some of it's going to be hard. Some of it, well, you'll, be, you'll think, why did I do this? But that's, you know, that's what makes getting to the destination, you know, all the more rewarding, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And what a metaphor for leadership. <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> Metaphors. I'm, I, I, I might, I might have a few too many of those. <laughs> okay. well, Jeff, it's been brilliant speaking with you. I really enjoyed speaking with you, but just uh, finally, before I let you go, can you tell us a bit about what's on the cards for Trent over the next six, nine, 12 months? What are you guys up to? So, so Trent was really I built Trent to solve a basic problem, which was that that we live in the age of voice and video, just as, you know, I, I see the world this way. I grew up in the 20th century in, in what, what I call a text-driven economy. We read newspapers on, on paper. We read mm-hmm. magazines on shiny paper. We wrote postcards when we traveled. You know, this is when I was a young, a, a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and well, even into my 20s. And, you know, we, we, 
you know, my, my parents and their parents would send telegrams or telexes to say they'd arrived somewhere. You know, it was all about reading. It was all about type and reading. Along in the 1980, the 1980s come along and there's, you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs invent the word processor, the Apple Macintosh um, and, and uh, Microsoft and IBM start producing these these computers that revolutionize the way text is written, uh, that the way it's searched, the way it's shared. Fast forward to the to, to to the time we're in now. Text plays a role, but it's audio and video. It's conversations like this. It's podcasts like this. It's recorded audio and video files like this that really drive communication. We mm-hmm. need tools to help us navigate the spoken word as it's recorded, video as it's recorded or as it's live. And and word processing solved that problem for text. Trint solves that problem for audio and video. It takes these conversations, it turns them into text. It associates the text with the original audio. You can search, if I say Mississippi, you can search this conversation and find that reference by just typing in Mississippi, you'll hear me say it. Mm-hmm. And, and someone else can come three years from now and say, did he talk about Mississippi in that conversation with Amy? Uh, let me check. Oh, yeah, look. And there it is. And so that kind of discoverability and then the, the ability to take that quote and build a story in Trent and to do it collaboratively so that you've got a colleague in New York and a colleague in Sydney, Australia, working on that same original actual transcript and saying, hey, we're going to use this on Twitter. We're going to use this on the front page of our website, mm-hmm. et cetera. Or can you check that fact? I'm not sure that's correct. You know, just the, the way we do on Google Docs. Yeah. So, so that's really the problem that we're solving. And we work in 40 plus languages for transcription, 50 plus for translation. So this is really a tool for the 21st century to, to, to communicate in that age of voice and video that I was talking about. So where are we going? We're going into this area of live transcription now that, that, uh, uh, we're just uh, finishing off and we've patented a, a new, a completely new concept in, in, in transcription from a mobile phone anywhere in the world that that allows you to share a, co- a conversation like this, even on a moving train going through a tunnel, uh, so that people around in your team around the world can listen to this kind of conversation, see the, tra- the, the, the transcript come out with the audio and or video associated, search it and 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 share it as you and I are talking. And the tunnel is important because if it goes through a tunnel and we lose connectivity, they're sitting going, oh my God, they're still talking. We don't have the signal. The product that we've just built will actually buffer until it comes up. We come out of the tunnel and then it will catch up. And that's a very, very difficult build. It's taken us a huge amount of uh, uh, skill and resource on our team. Really brilliant uh, mobile engineering and product team to come up with the solution to that. Uh, And it's so original that we've been able to uh, patent it because uh, it it involves the combination of a series of technologies that have never been put together before. So that you have, people need to trust their transcripts. They need to trust Mm -hmm. one that they're, they're, they're searchable and verifiable if, if, because AI is not a, not perfect. It's going to make mistakes, Mm -hmm. but on Trent, you can verify it. Secondly, they need to trust that if they're recording it, we're not going to stop recording in the middle as, as, as the conversation continues. And they're going to go back and say, well, what happened to the last half of that conversation? So, so people need to trust their technologies aren't going to, uh, turn on them and, and, and leave them, uh, leave them hanging. 
So, so, and I understand that as a reporter. I mean, we've all been in situations as journalists where we thought the camera was rolling, we thought we were recording, something went wrong, and you, you go, what? <laughs> we're yeah. up the creek without a paddle. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, reliability, trust are really essential for this kind of work. And that's really what, we're, what, what this product uh, addresses in a way that allows people to work instantly, but reliably. Uh, so it's very exciting. I'm really proud of what the team has done. It was a huge challenge we set out. And, there, and candidly, there were moments we thought this may be just beyond the limits of technology, the, the scope of technology, because it, it is really difficult to have that train tunnel problem mm-hmm. solved. So, uh, yeah, watch this channel. Print. Fantastic. 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 Thank you, Jeff. It's been brilliant speaking with you. So I appreciate the time. Thanks, Amy. It was fun.